0: You both thank you, thank you.
1: Happy Friday. Oh, you made it. Uh, So glad you're here tonight. We're going to go from politics to mystery. And look, it's a true crime show, but sometimes mystery is woven in. Like today, um, I usually don't report on Capitol Hill because mm, that's not crime and justice and true crime and mystery. Always, But today it was, because they were super top secret, you're not allowed to hear it, we're going to encircle ourselves with a substance where even cell phones can't penetrate a a, a hearing. Um, And it was all about UFOs. Now, 10 years ago, you'd have shut this off and said, you know, this is supermarket tabloid stuff. But today, we're actually hearing this more and more on Capitol Hill. Like the jellyfish video that we saw this week of some kind of ghost-like thing flowing across uh, the skies of Iraq over a U.S. military base. Well, it went from being just a video that some people may or may not have believed in to a Capitol Hill issue in a skiff. Yeah, a skiff, one of those very secret rooms. You're not allowed to bring in a cell phone. And nothing can penetrate it. So we're going to talk about uh, what was said, what wasn't said, why we're not allowed to know about this. And the investigative journalist who got that video and released it to the world, he's here live tonight. He's got some thoughts about what happened on Capitol Hill today. That's coming in. Also this, when you lose a loved one, it is really hard. That we know. But when you lose that loved one twice, it's unforgivable. How does that happen? Well, two families in Alabama um, asked for the remains of their loved one so that they could have a, you know, funeral. And what they got um, were carcasses that were gutted. Uh, and this is where the mystery hits, and it hits different. Their organs were missing. So do what now? Where are the organs? They asked. Natch. And no one can seem to answer. And they're not the only ones. There is some weird stuff going on. And it has to do with Alabama prisons. Are they up to something no good? Why would inmates who died be disemboweled? Okay, so we're gonna go into that uh, the where, who, why, what. And we're gonna try to solve that mystery right here live. But then also, there is this like crazy story that happened in Cleveland. Usually, I take uh, like sometimes months, years. And sometimes I never get to the solution of a crime, right, Casey Anthony? Um, but this crime was solved, like, as, as it was happening. And the, the alleged killer, I'm still going to say that because court's still going to happen, uh, kind of just solved it himself. That sounds crazy, I know, um, but I have the video to back it up. I want to show you this moment where a guy on the sidewalk flags down a cruiser to tell them I just killed five members of a family. Take a look.
0: Serious, I'm not crazy. And you could go to the address and verify. The address is 3719 Mac Court. But I want you to handcuff me first. You got an ID on you?
2: I got a call from two cousins, my son. Murder them all.
1: So you might think, well, where's the proof? But that body cam continues, and they walked into that house. And I am going to give you the POV of those cops as they wore their body cams and entered that house, all the while thinking this was just nuts, right? Just crazy talk. You're going to see the result of what was actually a quintuple. Well, it was a quadruple murder that turned into a quintuple murder. There is a sort of a snag there, too, like a whole monkey wrench that came into it. And there was a fifth victim from many years ago. Okay, so it's just wild, but you're gonna see it. So don't go anywhere. And I'm gonna start with this. Is there anything better than a Friday Night Mystery? And the answer, my friends, let's say it together, no, uh, not much. And we got a live one for you tonight. We have been covering um, a snippet of classified military video that was taken in Iraq in 2017 and obtained by investigative journalist Jeremy Corbell. And we've been calling it the jellyfish video. Uh, Though if you were with us last night, you heard something a little different. You heard a United States Marine vet who was stationed right there in Iraq said that the troops called it the ghost or the spaghetti monster because he was there and he saw the video when it was actually taken. Corbell says that the Pentagon has yet another name for it and it is Unidentified Aerial or Anomalous Phenomenon, UAP. We used to call them simply UFOs, but now we got a fancier name. And the Pentagon isn't saying anything more than that on the record. But just this morning, and this is where the Friday Night Mystery comes in, members of the House Oversight Committee got a closed-door briefing from the Inspector General of the Intelligence Community. And the subject was UAPs. You may remember, right, just back in the summer, there was a public hearing in July, and it featured that guy, As David Grush, he's a UFO whistleblower, former military, claims to have seen evidence of a secret UAP crash retrieval program. Today's event was the opposite of what you just saw there. It was the opposite of public. It took place in one of those SCIFs. SCIF is SCIF, stands for Sensitive Compartmented Information Facility. We don't know, because of the SCIF, uh, what was said. We don't know what was seen. But you can bet we were there to check in with the lawmakers who were inside and came outside. News Nation senior national correspondent Brian Enton has been on the story. He's here live. So secretive. Why? Why so secretive this time when it was public in July?
2: Uh, it was secretive, Ashley, because this was the chance that these lawmakers who have been investigating what's really going on with the UFOs were able to get in with the inspector general of the intelligence community. Uh, and talk with him about what he has been able to uncover when it comes to all of these things we've been talking about, especially David Grush, the UFO whistleblower that we first broke here uh, on News Nation. So it was a big moment uh, with this story that we've been covering for the last year or so because they were able to get in there uh, and ask the man who's been investigating the claims himself in a secret setting what he has actually found out.
1: So, what were the lawmakers' reactions?
2: This was really interesting, uh, Ashley, because they went in uh, not really knowing what to expect, and when they came out, you know, they could have just come out and said, yeah, we heard some things, like the other times they've gone into these meetings. They said, we didn't learn anything, it was a bunch of BS, they wouldn't tell us anything. They came out today basically saying, we moved the needle, we learned something, we're not allowed to tell you what it is, but we are confident uh, in David Grush and what he has said. Translation, they heard something that backs up the UFO whistleblowers' claims. Listen to what some of these lawmakers said. We, we got them right when they walked out.
0: I think that um, it's, it's reasonable to say that uh,
2: everyone that was in the room uh, received probably new information, I, I certainly
0: did. This meeting, unlike the one we had previously when we did this briefing, this one actually moved the needle. It's giving me a more clear pr- perspective, um, a little bit more of a clear perspective before it's very blurry. Everything is extremely blurry.
2: So it's hard to make out what they mean here because they're not allowed to talk about it. Uh, and I'm obviously not a believer or a skeptic, just a journalist coming at this like every other story we cover. but. Ashley, the fact that they came out of that meeting and said those things, that things seemed a little clearer, uh, that the needle was moved, they learned something in that meeting today, very, very significant when it comes to the investigation of UFOs and what the government knows.
1: That's great for them, uh, but we're the public, and I'm going to speak for like all the viewers right now um, and the rest of the public that might not be watching. We're not satisfied with that, right? We're never going to be satisfied yeah. until we get full transparency and the truth and we start to hear if there's something weird that's going on, if the Pentagon has a program that has weird, unexplainable things that they're dissecting, or maybe that they're co-opting to use to our benefit. Like, that's what some of the folks have said, right? They've said reverse engineering might be going on uh, with something that's been collected that's not understandable. But what about the lawmakers? How satisfied were they?
2: Look, I think it's clear that there's something going on at this point. I mean, I think we can, we can report that confidently. Whether it's UFOs, or we don't know what it is, but there's something going on. I mean, they went into the skiff. 90 minutes, actually, they're in there, lawmakers, coming in and out on both sides of the aisle, coming out saying that things are a little more clear now, and they've got more confidence in the UFO whistleblower. And then they had some other details, too. Uh, They didn't want to go too far, uh, but they did say a little bit more about what they learned. Uh, Take a listen.
1: I believe that he's telling the truth. I think that he is a credible witness. And what I can also say is one thing in particular that really caused me to be concerned about this whole thing is that Gresh had stated to myself, Representative Burchett, and another member on the phone that there were people that were hurt hiding this information and keeping this information safe and or trying to come forward with this information. What I can tell you is I believe that claim after now leaving.
0: I'm more concerned than I was going into the SCIF, and I think that they have a lot of questions they, that remain unanswered.
2: I mean, when you really listen to what they're saying, Ashley, Representative Luna there from Florida saying that she believes the claim more now that people have been hurt for hiding, for for having this kind of information involving UFOs. She said that right when she came out of this meeting. Uh, It's really kind of explosive when you think about it. And it is frustrating that we don't get to know what's going on here, uh, which is one of the reasons these lawmakers claim that they're going to try to have some kind of public hearing uh, in the near future.
1: It's, uh, listen, it was the one thing today that stood out to me the most. When Representative Luna said some people have been hurt trying to keep the secret or trying to release it, it made me think of the, the next guest that's coming up, Jeremy Corbell, because somebody released it to him. Someone released the jellyfish video to him, and it's video that, you know, Marines have seen before, as you were able to break last night on the show, Anton. Um, so that, the, the thing that is also fascinating to me is that There's frustration as well as curiosity, it seems, among these lawmakers, because Tim Burchett, the representative from Tennessee, he was, it seemed, annoyed by the tens of millions of dollars that we've spent um, on programs that we're being told don't exist.
2: Yeah, there is a budget out there where they don't know where the money's going, a defense budget Ashley. And, and this is what I kept thinking about today. So these are the lawmakers who have been pushing this UFO thing, who have been talking about it, having the hearings. They had David Grush do the hearing. They went in finally and met with, with essentially the government to find out what's going on. They could have come out Ashley and said, Okay, thank you so much everybody, we'll get back to you. We did talk to them and we'll see, you know, if if they were kind of underwhelmed. But instead they came out and said, We've learned more, we're more interested than ever, we want to have public hearings Uh, This is pushing the needle forward. To me, that was really kind of the most significant part of all of this.
1: Yeah, I'll say. Um, Brian Anton, great work. I know it's been a long day for you, so I appreciate you staying up uh, uh, late on a Friday night. And have a good weekend. Thanks, Ash. I want to bring in the person I mentioned before, Jeremy Corbell himself. He released the jellyfish video to the world, and some of his previous discoveries have led to congressional hearings. Um, He had a front row seat for David Grush's testimony in July, and you can see right there to the right in the back in the green shirt, there he is. And you can see all of this for yourself And TMZ presents UFO Revolution on Tubi. Take a look.
0: You've said that the U.S. has intact spacecraft. You said that the government has alien bodies or alien species. Have you seen the spacecraft? What I personally witnessed myself was very disturbing. It has
3: been since the inception of the UFO problem. Nothing to see here. All of that. All of that has changed. A multi-decade UAP
0: crash retrieval and reverse engineering program.
1: Jeremy is also the uh, co-host of the podcast Weaponize. He's with me live. I'm really appreciative uh, to to talk to you tonight, particularly because of today. Um, What are your reactions to what we did and didn't learn today?
3: Sure, yeah. So first of all, I just want to say it's George Knapp, my mentor in journalism, uh, and also myself, and we obtain and we release videos if it doesn't compromise national security, and the jellyfish is one of them. Today was a historic day. So it was a classified briefing, in a secret, compartmentalized room, they call it a skiff uh, it was a huge day. I've actually heard what went on in that skiff. You know, being an investigative journalist, I have eyes and ears everywhere, you know which people hate, but it's true. There were about 15 members that were there. It was unified. It was across the aisle. The biggest takeaway that I got was that when I was told what was discussed in there, it was not just, "Oh yeah, we validated David Grush is an intelligence officer." I, I asked specifically. There was validation of his specific claims about UFOs when it came to his public discussion, what he did in Congress, which I helped set up, that public congressional hearing. So that was big news. I think the biggest takeaway, Ashley, and thank you for covering this, but you're going to cover it more because the biggest takeaway, we're going to have more hearings on UFOs and we're going to crack this open.
1: And this business that Representative Luna said afterwards that kind of made me shudder that people have been hurt. They've been hurt trying to keep things secret and they've been hurt trying to make them public. Do you have any wisdom or intelligence on that, Jeremy?
3: Yeah, of course. I, I know specifically what's being referenced there. And unfortunately, it is a reality that this information about UFOs, UAPs, same thing, it's Were regarded as higher than weapons of mass destruction. And there's a reason for that. So there has been pressure put on, not just from the public, not smash pieces in the media, but actual pressure put on by private corporations and also certain agencies or factions of agencies. And it is unfortunate. And I think that you can hear those details. I think those details will come out, but let's focus on the important part. The important part is people have courage. David Grush gave people courage, and and this is important because it's allowing other people to come forward. People come to me and George Knapp, and, and they leak information, and that's great. As journalists, we can absorb that and try to see if it's valuable to put out, but having somebody stand up there under oath in front of Congress and say, we've been reverse engineering UFOs. They represent non-human intelligence, not just craft, but biologics, which means bodies, And the fact this was said in a public realm, and now Congress, and they've been seeking answers, are starting to understand the gravity and the weight that this is true. I mean, it's really a historic moment. I think that's going to sink into people in a little while.
1: Is it coincidental that it is this week that the jellyfish video um, ended up being released for all of us to see, and then there's this hearing? And as an addendum to that, do you think that that particular video was discussed today?
3: All I can say is that uh, being a strategist, what's really important is that we can make a lot of noise and get things into public consciousness when it will have most effect. Now, this meeting has been on the books for a while. Uh, George Knapp and I have been sitting on this footage for about three and a half years. We've been trying to figure out the best way to get it out if we can verify it from firsthand witnesses, which we sure did. So as we unfold this story, it kind of seems like perfect timing today, right?
1: It sure did. One quick question about the source um, for David Grush. It it's, it seems from some reporting that the source is Air Force. Do you have any thoughts or any connections to either confirm or deny that?
3: The, the source for David Grush. What do you mean?
1: That that the source who has been telling and giving information to David Grush as well is Air Force based as well. Do you know if there's no, a connection okay, to the Air I, I think Force there's when it comes a misunderstanding.
3: I think there's a misunderstanding here. So let me break it down for your audience. So it's not one source for David Grush. David Grush was a career intelligence officer who was mandated by the UFO study group within our government to look at the black programs. He interviewed more than 40 people. And then he brought that information forward, gave it to the inspector general of the intelligence community, and they then interviewed those 40 people plus So, so that he doesn't have like a source. David Grush has an army of people that came to him in his official capacity for our government to look into this. And he blew the whistle saying that we have spacecraft from somewhere else that represent non-human intelligence. I think it gets confused for people. It's not like somebody told something to David Grush, just one person. This is a a guy who was tasked by our intelligence agencies to do this job. He did it. And he found out that there were secret programs being held back from Congress and, and from oversight. So he blew the whistle on that. And came forward in that congressional hearing. I think the stories get mixed up, but now you know.
1: Well, and, and I was always under the impression that some of the most alarming material that he brought forward was actually brought forward to him from a source he couldn't allude to, but that some have suggested it was uh, it had come to him from the Air Force. But I see there are a lot of sources that he was that he right, was. but uh, what you're talking from. about
3: there is he said when he was up there in the public setting. If you can get me a secure room and you can get the authority to hear what I have to say, I'll spill the beans. That's what he said. So they were fighting to get that environment.
1: Jeremy Corbell, I'm going to pencil you in for another visit because this story is not over. Like you said, more hearings ahead. Thank you so much for this.
3: Thank you for covering this topic.
1: Appreciate it. Uh, A reminder to our viewers as well, TMZ Presents UFO Revolution is streaming on Tubi and you can check it out. Right now, I've got a quick update now on a crime-based mystery as well. Chad Daybell, the husband of the doomsday cult mom, Lori Vallow, uh, is supposedly broke just as he is about to face his own death penalty murder trial. So his lawyer, John Pryor, seated there, uh, he wants out. And he filed a motion yesterday to withdraw from Chad Daybell's case, which would leave Daybell in the hands of likely two public defenders instead. And we're waiting to hear what the judge's response to that is going to be. Still to come, uh, the loss of a loved one is just about one of the hardest things you're ever going to face in life. But losing that person twice, not one, but two Alabama Alabama families, each lost a loved one in prison and say the remains that were handed over by prison officials were, how we say, incomplete one man was essentially hollowed out, all of his organs removed. Nobody knows where the organs went. No one knows how it happened or who approved it. Is something hinky happening in Alabama prisons? Stories next. Okay, all I have to say to you right now on a Friday night is thank God for police body cams, and it's not for all that action video. Um, it's because of this. If I tried to tell you this next story um, and that this story actually happened without the video to back it up, I pretty much don't think that you'd believe me, or as my kids would say, Cap, I got the quick setup for you. Uh, police in Cleveland on a snowy January night a year ago. Um, roll up to a fella on the sidewalk, roll down their window, and the guy says to them straight up, I just killed five people in my family, end quote. This is what it looked like from the officer's point of view. And by the way, we added a few subtitles where it's hard to understand what's being said. Take a look.
0: I'm serious. I'm not crazy. And you could go to the address and verify. The address is 3719 Mac Court. But I want you to handcuff me first. Alright, let me pull up really quick. What the hell is going on, dude? What the the hell, dude? Come on, I got us. Get out of the compass. Turn your camera on.
4: Two for the radio. Yeah, he could put us or clear us off of this assignment. No pause, and uh, put us out at four four and Clark with a mail. He approached, he approached our vehicle and said that he just did something bad, and he's gonna give us an address on Mack as to what he did and where it's at.
0: 3719 Mac April
4: He said that he killed five people
0: Hey you guys I got to find him out that You got an ID on you?
1: Yeah, yeah he he had ID on him uh, but police still didn't know that they were dealing with Martin Muniz, who had already done prison time for a list of violent crimes the cops also didn't know whether he was telling the truth but a couple of 911 calls later other units responded to the address that he gave with their body cams also rolling so watch what happens when they uh, when they get to that house
4: they the house and no shot players
2: my daughter lives here, I got a call from two cousins, my son murdered them all. I don't know, I just got here, and I don't trust him, so I was afraid to knock on the door. I was
0: waiting for you guys. Your son's not here, I don't believe.
4: He, yeah. He approached two do you know and... Do you know who, the cousin? Does he have mental disorders? What's up? Oh, who? Son. The guy that called. My son, yes. Yeah. He
2: was locked up for 20 years. Yes, he's got mental. What was issues.
4: he locked up for?
2: Uh. All kinds of violations.
4: Like I mean, like violence uh, yes, against people. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, we well just just hang tight for us. Right two five radio. The front door is open. Not it's just unlocked. It's not all the way open. You want me to walk in first and call my grandkids No man no. No. Uh, Who supposed to look
0: here Given uh she permission to, to go inside husband? his husband. Have you tried to call her? I called all of them. No one's answering. They're not, not supposed to be
4: upstairs. Hey, we don't need permission. Hello? We have two females. We, okay, we don't need permission. Well, the location. I wasn't notified of anyone being inside. Come police! You've enough. the I don't know to
1: do I'm i don't know. They're going to have them.
4: Clean police. Somebody's on the bed. Oh, f- yo, it's real. Get EMS rolling. You got one female on the ground.
1: Oh, F, that cop said it's real. And it was more than real. And it was more than they saw right at that moment. Uh, the scene inside that house was a veritable bloodbath. Five people had all been shot in the head Martin Muniz's father, Martin Muniz's sister, her husband, and the couple's two kids. There was one person that survived that, and it was an eight year old girl. Uh, the next thing you're going to see is how Muniz behaved in court in front of a judge. Um, basically, smiling and laughing. I mean, this is, this is huge. He was being arraigned on four charges of aggravated murder and also attempted murder and assault. And city officials are only now just releasing this body cam video. And here's where it gets even worse. Uh, The police have now connected Muniz to another murder. This one in New Jersey, 10 years ago. And now he's charged with that killing too. Tonight he is in jail, and yup, his bond is really high, $5 million. The prosecutors say they may seek the death penalty. I mean, what's it there for other than murdering a whole family and another fella, allegedly? And to think all of this, this whole thing in Cleveland, was solved uh, with a sidewalk confession to a passing cop car by the alleged criminal himself. Coming up next... What is up with dead prisoners in Alabama missing their organs when they're returned to their families for burial? I know. It's weird. So that's why I'm talking about it. You get the details in a moment. Donating your organs to science is a noble thing to do. Do it. Write it on your license. Make sure you do it. Right? It's noble, but having your organs taken from you in secret after you die, for reasons unknown, with uh, no apparent authorization, well, that is something that'll get y'all sued. And in Alabama, two separate families say the remains of their loved ones who died in state prisons were literally gutted. Charles Singleton died back in 2021. He was 74, and when his daughter attempted to plan a funeral, she was told it would be, quote, difficult... To prepare his body for viewing, end quote, because of its, quote, noticeable state of decomposition and, quote, advanced skin slippage. That's super revolting, but there's more. The mortician reported that all of Singleton's internal organs, including his brain, were missing. Reportedly, there had been an autopsy at the University of Alabama, Birmingham. But officials there won't say why or what happened to Singleton's organs. The state does say that dead inmates are generally autopsied only when deaths are considered unlawful, suspicious, or unnatural, but Charles Singleton's death was none of those things. So this is all coming out now as part of a lawsuit over a second and very similar case from last November. This one involves a 43-year-old Alabama prisoner named Brandon Dotson, who was found dead for reasons unknown, and when his family hired their own pathologist to investigate, wouldn't you know it, Brandon's heart was nowhere to be found. Their suit accuses the Alabama Department of Corrections of, quote, appalling misconduct, nothing short of grave robbery, end quote. That's why I called Joseph Scott Morgan, because he's a renowned death expert, and he's a distinguished scholar of applied forensics at Jacksonville State University in Alabama. What is happening? It sounds very macabre and very weird, Joe Scott. It
4: does, Ash. Uh, How are you doing? Happy New Year. Uh, by the way. Uh, yeah, horrible stuff. Uh, I was shocked uh, when you guys reached out to me. I, I had not been following these cases. And um, I will tell you this. Um, most people that die in custody, it is re- a requirement, and it's, it's generally understood industry practice that when someone dies in custody, and this can even mean someone that is, say, on a hospital unit in a prison that body must be examined because I don't care if they're in a hospital unit at a prison or in the back seat of a patrol car, that's an in-custody death. That means that the state is responsible for their mortal remains. And these autopsies, Ash, are very, very thorough. I've been involved in them over the years. And so the fact that these bodies were handled in the manner in which they're handled, in both cases there was significant decomposition, is quite shocking, even by my standards.
1: So, what's this business where the state says dead inmates are generally autopsied only when their deaths are considered, quote, unlawful, suspicious, or unnatural? Meaning they're not always autopsied.
4: Yeah, they're not always autopsied. I think, and uh, sometimes uh, saying autopsied um, implies that that would be uh, be a thorough complete autopsy, but at minimum, you must do an external examination, do blood draws, x-rays, all these sorts of things. Uh, you, and this must be done by a forensic pathologist, not a hospital pathologist. You want someone that can examine for trauma. The reason for this, uh, 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 Ashley, is the fact that if an individual is in the custody of the state, you want to make sure that they weren't abused while they were in the custody of the state. But here's the rub. Any time an autopsy is performed and there are no organs left, what does that leave for what? the family if they want wait, if they want wait, to have up. an autopsy wait, I, I may have
1: missed what you just said did you just said anytime an autopsy is performed, there are no organs left did I mishear you?
4: I don't know if you did, but this is what I meant if an autopsy is performed and the organs are not returned with that body okay and the family has a desire to have a second autopsy, what's their hired pathologist going to look at yes. other than the tissue samples that were taken in the original case? So it's, it's an uneven playing field, if you will. The family has a right to be able to look into the deaths of their family members.
1: Yeah, and they're upset that they can't do that. The Dotson family lawsuit names the Alabama State Corrections Department, but also the University of Alabama, says that they've got a track record of removing organs of inmates for medical research and training. That, I understand that part, but not without consent. And you just saw, we popped it up on the screen, the University of Alabama's uh, statement was that they only do this with consent. But these folks said that they never did that, and they wanted a second autopsy, and they, they don't even have bagged remains. Didn't, didn't you once tell me that it's bagged? Like you, when you do an autopsy and you remove the organs, you bag them up and you put them back in, and it's gross to yeah. say it, but you sew the body back up? No,
4: it's, it's the reality of, of the world that we inhabit in forensics. And yes, those organs are placed into a bag and placed back into the chest cavity, and the body is sealed. That's standard practice, Ash. And then the funeral home will receive these organs and either retain the organs within the body and bury the organs with the body or they will be disposed of in an appropriate way. However, under those circumstances, the family has a chance, has a chance at least, to examine the body and have someone that's trained to do this on their behalf. And in this case, that's not going to happen.
1: It's weird. I keep thinking, is there some creepy weirdo that's taking those organs out of what might have been otherwise a very normal process? But, Joe Scott, we're going to keep following it. Thank you for being on. Thank you for coming on Friday night, and I'll see you again. Have a great weekend. Right back at you. Okay, Uh, still to come. When the vaults opened up and slimy documents oozed out from the Jeffrey Epstein and Glenn Maxwell cases, it was like clockwork. One by one, VIPs denied knowing him well and distanced themselves from Epstein. But Epstein's lawyer, who was originally named as a child sex abuser, has been denying he did anything wrong for a long time, and loudly so. And when his accuser settled a civil case with him, she said it might have been a case of mistaken identity in so many words. But now that the documents are all public, the depositions that she gave seem to take on some new light. After the break, I'm going to read directly from her deposition as the details are remarkable and you can judge for yourself if mistaken identity sounds legitimate. <laughs> VIPs the world over have been distancing themselves from Jeffrey Epstein ever since their names were recently revealed in thousands of pages of court documents. But perhaps no one has more vehemently denied that he ever did anything wrong than Alan Dershowitz. Dershowitz was Epstein's lawyer, so it would make sense that he'd be mentioned over 100 times in the documents. And just being named in the documents does not prove any wrongdoing. Plenty of people were friendly with Epstein who were completely unaware of his crimes. Some of them weren't, but many of them were. But one of Epstein's victims, Virginia Giuffre, has made detailed allegations of having sex with Dershowitz at least six times, starting when she was 17. Dershowitz has repeatedly denied that. In 2019, she sued him for defamation, claiming that his denials were lies. And he countersued also for defamation. And the two of them settled their cases in 2022. After that, Giuffre told reporters she, quote, may have made a mistake, end quote, in identifying Dershowitz as one of her abusers. And Dershowitz, for himself, declared himself exonerated. Like, exonerated. In a recent appearance on Chris Cuomo's show, he said Jufre quote, simply made up the entire story for money, end quote, from 2015 to 2018. Take a look.
0: The new documents also show the beginning of this thing. They show a journalist named Sharon Churcher, who puts the idea of naming Alan Dershowitz into Virginia Giuffre's head, there is a, an exchange of emails where Churchill says to her, Well, we know Dershowitz didn't do anything wrong, but put him in the book. It'll help you sell the book. And then she puts me in her book as did nothing wrong. But now, then she's her lawyers. And then, of course, she makes the following statement I was very young at the time. It was stressful. Mr. Dershowitz has, in the beginning, consistently denied these allegations. I now recognize I may have made a mistake in identifying Mr. Dershowitz. It's time to bring it to an end and move on with our lives. So Mm. she admitted that she may have mistaken me. We now know how she mistook me because Sharon Churcher told her to put me in the book to make money. And now we have solved the mystery. I am completely and totally innocent from the day I met Jeffrey Epstein to the day he died. I have had sexual contact with one woman, the love of my life, my wife. And that's it.
1: But we have been reading some of Jufres' unsealed testimony under oath in a lawsuit filed not by Jufres, but by the U.S. attorney in Florida. And in it, she details what she says were six different sexual encounters with Dershowitz in multiple states. Here she is in a 2016 deposition being questioned by Dershowitz's attorney about the first of the six alleged encounters that allegedly happened in Epstein's New York mansion. Giuffre says, there's a shower in the middle of that room and I had just finished having a shower with Jeffrey. Jeffrey got out of the shower, got dressed and left the room. He was wearing sweatpants, if I recall. And while I'm undressed and drying myself off and drying my hair... Dershowitz entered the room, and there was some red velvet chair that I remember. We had sexual intercourse on the chair while I was bent over. The attorney asks, how long did that last? Jouffre says, less than 10 minutes. Attorney, did you speak to the professor? Jouffre, just formalities. But at this time, Jeffrey had before trained me to do what he wanted me to do. Jufre says another incident allegedly occurred on Epstein's jet. And this is really graphic, so I want you to be forewarned and get kids out of the room. Okay. The attorney says, who was involved? I mean, you were sexually involved with Pro- Professor Dershowitz, Correct. And Jufres says, yes, it was kind of, to be honest, it was a little bit of mix and match. It sounds horrible. So at first when I went down, oh, God, I can't believe I'm saying this. At first I gave oral sex to Epstein, and then the other girl gave oral sex to Dershowitz. And then we swapped within, I would say, seconds, like 60 seconds to a minute. We were told, you know, they wanted us to get on top. So we mounted them and we straddled them and we performed intercourse on a bed in the airplane. According to Giffray, the sixth and the final alleged incident happened in a stretch limo on the way to Dershowitz's home in Boston. Giffray says there was an instance in a car, but it was more, it wasn't intercourse, it was more, more oral is the good term to use, oral sex. The attorney says, where were you? Where was his car? What city, what state, what jurisdiction? Where were you? Giffray says this was this was in Massachusetts. It was a black limousine. And the deposition continues. Attorney, where was the car going? Jouffre, to Mr. Dershowitz's house. Attorney, why were you going to Professor Professor Dershowitz's house? Jouffre, Jeffrey and him were doing some business. They were doing something at his house. Nothing sexual happened at his house. Attorney, did you go in Professor Dershowitz's house? Jouffre, yes, I did. Attorney, how long were you there? Jouffre, not even 20 minutes, half an hour. Attorney, what did you do while you were in the house? Jouffre, I sat in, I don't know, a foyer with another girl and Jeffrey and Dershowitz went into a different part of the house. There was a desk there and we just sat, not sat, stood in the foyer. In that same deposition, Jouffre says she told multiple people about the alleged encounters in the years that followed, including her then boyfriend, her husband, her mother and her best friend. And as for Professor Dershowitz's claim that Jufre exonerated him uh, when she said she may have made a mistake in identifying him, Jufre says not so fast. In a statement to the Daily Beast, she says, quote, stopping the false charges against me and securing Mr. Dershowitz's public acknowledgement of my good faith was important to me and my family. However, I did not and would never exonerate Mr. Dershowitz in return. Still to come, Gypsy Rose 2.0 another mom allegedly pretending her sick child um, was sick but wasn't just to rake in the cash the case didn't end in murder though but we will tell you how it did end next Uh, you've heard a lot lately about gypsy rose blanchard whose mother lied to her and the whole world about terrible illnesses that gypsy never had and lo and behold it's apparently happened again An Ohio woman named Pamela Reed was just arrested on Monday for allegedly pocketing thousands of dollars that she'd raised from friends and well-wishers who believed that her seven-year-old daughter was blind and had leukemia. They believed it because Reed had claimed it for more than six years. Uh, She was found out last week when a school nurse discovered the girl was not blind. And when that nurse reached out to the girl's doctors, she learned that the girl never had cancer either, despite having her head shaved. Tonight, Pamela Reed is charged with theft by deception, and we are waiting to find out whether she's going to have child abuse charges that will follow. Uh, That does it for us tonight, but I'm so appreciative that you spent your Friday night with me here. Have yourselves a great weekend, and do me a big favor. Stay tuned, because Cuomo's coming up next.